0: Good morning, it's seven I'm falling behind on the very first day of school. Um, today's devotional is on, uh, of course, No More Cycles. This is Doc Scott, and that's our devotional title is No More Cycles for this 90 days that we're gonna do this. And today's topic is on a couple of prostitutes. And um, I should probably preface by saying, um, not anybody that I know personally, Although I do know them pretty well. Um, I know the first one is from Pretty Woman and the second one is from Luke 5. So I contrasted uh, two prostitutes um, just to get a, make a couple points, but um, in the movie Pretty Woman, which I like to talk about a lot, there's a couple of things in there that she does that I think is really interesting. Um, You know, there's one part of that movie where, you know, Richard Gere basically asked her, like, why did you become a prostitute? And she was like, you know, like, it wasn't like my childhood dream, you know, Susie wants to be a nurse, Sally wants to be a doctor, and, you know, uh, Maggie wants to be a lawyer, and I want to be a prostitute. She essentially said the bad things stuck. And later, she said, um my mom always told me that if I, if, were, if I was in a room with 51 men in it and 50 were good and one was the bum, I would find the bum. So she essentially said that she's a bum magnet. And I just think it's interesting that what she came to believe about herself because of the labels that she had kind of had, and I think it was the fact that um, what she heard was bad. In other words, she could have heard a thousand things growing up that were probably good, but it was the few ones that were bad that um, really stuck. Um, I ask my students a hypothetical question sometimes about um, if I told my daughter that she was ugly and stupid her whole life, what do you think that she would believe about herself even though she might be stunningly beautiful and brilliant? You know, and of course they give the right answer, which is the obvious one. And that is that she would probably believe that she was stupid and ugly, regardless of what what was true. And so, you know, essentially that's the situation where you have the false self kind of takes over because the true self is who we are authentically. And somewhere along the line, either because of what we do, You know, what we engage in, like in sin ourselves, like the prodigal son who thought that he was only worthy to feed pigs. And the stuff that happens are things that kind of shape and form our identity. They tell us who we are. They frame up who we are and and they stick. Um, So words are very powerful. In contrast, we have the woman... Luke chapter 7 who comes to Jesus um, to Simon the Pharisee's house and um, you know Simon's having this kind of moment because she's you know pouring she got perfume she's putting on her feet she's weeping she's this is very extravagant um, and demonstrative worship of Jesus and You know, Simon thinks, well, you know, Jesus' prophetic gift isn't flowing too well because if he knew who she was, he'd be like, "Um, what are you doing here? And, of course, you know, I love those parts of the passage where it either says it or it implies it. But, like, knowing their thoughts, sometimes we hear in the Gospels, I love it when he reads their mind. So Jesus, in turn, tells a parable. He says, you know, look, you got a money lender. One of them owes um, lends money to this guy and another and another amount to this guy, but this guy it's ten times the amount of the first person, which one of them would be love the money lender most if they were forgiven and you know and Simon answers rightly that you know the one that was forgiven much and um the next part is the part that I think sometimes we miss because what Jesus does is he accomplishes several things at once. You know, he's you know when you watch him in action and when he speaks to a crowd or to the Pharisees or whatever, he's always modeling something and always demonstrating something. And there's multiple lessons in what he's doing. And he's communicating to more than one person at a time. But the first thing he says to Simon is, do you see this woman? He calls her a woman he didn't say do you see this prostitute um, this harlot he didn't say that he said do you see this woman and in saying that he was restoring her identity Much like the prodigal son father who ran full speed ahead to get the ring, to meet his son and get the ring and the robe on him. Why was he doing that? Because he wanted to reestablish his identity as a son immediately, um, knowing that he had lost it. Um, And with this woman, he basically goes on to tell Simon, you know, some of the basic hospitality things, like you didn't what you know offer to wash my feet you didn't anoint me with oil you didn't do any of the things that most most people do as regular um hospitality but this woman hasn't stopped wetting my feet with their tears and drying them with her hair and then he says to the woman um go your faith has saved you i think it's an interesting thing that he says is faith because part of um what I think sometimes, um, you know, particularly when you're talking to the Pharisees, and, we, and we're and we all a little bit of the Pharisee, Pharisees live their life trying to get it right, okay? So they, they have built their life around getting the rules and getting everything just right. And in that, you know, at one point, Jesus says, you know, you guys look through the whole book, trying to, um, you know, find, everything you can about the law, like you know the book inside and out. You try to find life in the book, but you miss the one that's standing in front of you who gives it to you. So they were blind by rules. They were blind by their religious need to get it right, which is a a great place of shame. I didn't talk about uh, today's devotional is actually um, about religious shame, but because I don't do the Facebook intro over the weekend necessarily all the time, only occasionally so far. Um, I didn't talk about that one, but the one for January 7th, it's actually about religious shame, which is kind of interesting. I talk about my Bible lit class and having um, the Christians on one side of the room and the non-Christians on the other side of the room, and neither one will communicate with each other and both feel judged. Um, Pretty interesting. Um, But at any rate, it's, you know, religious shame is the shame that we have when we feel like we have to do something. So because we already feel like we're not enough, then we feel like we're always having to do something to get it right in order to be approved. And it's just totally, it's totally religious, it's totally wrong and it's a product of our shame that we just don't feel like we can just be because the essence of of being a believer in relationship with Jesus is just being. And knowing that one man got it right for all He did it once and for all. There is nothing I can add to it. There is nothing I can do to garner his favor through my works. And so part of the process as we kind of unmask shame and begin to break cycles is recognizing that we, all we have to do is come from a place of rest, that our doing is not valuable and that our being and relationship is the most valuable. When we replace works, I mean, sorry, replace relationship with works, that's when we've ceased being and that's when we cease functioning from a place of faith because it doesn't take a lot of faith to do works, to do the things that we do to try to earn it. So my prayer today is, Lord, that you would just deliver us from ourselves you would deliver us from our compulsive need to always try to get right, clean up, be right, get it right so that we can come to you. And then the reality is that the enemy's biggest weapon is separation through shame. And so, Father, I ask that you would um, enable us and empower us to silence the voice of the accuser. Here's what I want to say real quick about that. If you have a voice in you that's telling you that you're not enough or anything that fuels your need to work or do for approval, I can guarantee you that's not God and that's the accuser of the brethren. The only one that comes to kill, steal and destroy is, is, is Satan. So he loves the accusation that you're not enough, that you have gotta do something. If he keeps us as a church bound up in religion, then we're actually totally ineffective. Because it really takes a living viable relationship with Jesus and Holy Spirit and being connected to Holy Spirit to be able to function and flow in this life and, and really fulfill our destiny. Um, so apart from the Holy Spirit and our ability to kind of respond to him, we, there really isn't a lot of life. And so the enemy has a huge investment in religion. He loves religion because he knows that because of our shame and our our feeling of not being enough that we'll work as hard as we need to and essentially miss relationship altogether. So that's my prayer. I know I interjected some things in the middle of the prayer, but um, is that you would deliver us from our need to do and enable us more to be and that we would be able to silence the words of the accuser and tell him just to shut up. Shut up. That's not God. And so bless you guys today, and I'll see you tomorrow at 7 um, o'clock a.m. or thereabout. <laughs> I had to say that because I was a little late. But anyway, um, also you can read it on my blog, DocScottTalks.com, and you, there every one of the devotionals is there from day one. Blessings.